Credit scores are important to financial health. Do you know yours and how it's calculated? A poor credit score can make it hard to get a loan, a credit card, or even a job. We can help answer questions and possibly save you money. Hi, I'm Diane Freeby of Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, inviting you to schedule a free financial checkup today at NotreDameFCU.com slash elevate. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame FCU. This week, we're bringing you a special crossover episode of Truth in Charity. Bishop was recently a guest on the Dr. Doctor podcast, talking about whether or not medical interventions can interfere with God's plan. Find out more on this episode. Welcome back to our special guest interview today on Dr. Doctor. We are recording in studio with our own ordinary Bishop Kevin Rhodes. Bishop Rhodes has been on the show before. We're happy to have him here. He has been Bishop of uh, the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend since January 2010. Before that, he was Bishop in his home diocese of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. He's a glutton for punishment at the USCCB level, where he has been the chairman of the Task Force on Healthcare, the chairman of the Committee on Laity, Marriage, Family, Life, and Youth. He was the chairman of the Committee on Doctrine, and he shepherded through that document on the Eucharist, which garnered overwhelming support from his brother bishops, which to me shows an astounding level of emotional intelligence in doing that. And he is the upcoming chairman of the Committee on Religious Freedom. So we thought because of his background, he's perfect for this topic of medical fatalism. Bishop Rhodes, welcome back to Dr. Doctor. Thank you, Tom. Great to be with you. Your remarks are very kind. I don't deserve those <laughs> yeah, kind of I would remarks. Have to, I would take issue. There's nothing ordinary about our bishop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, True. He's the extraordinary form of, of the bishop. Well, Andrew, since this is your topic idea, I thought, you know, you hitting lead off here. What do you want to ask the bishop first? Yeah, I guess, you know, we're kind of titling this idea medical fatalism. We were talking off air maybe about theological analogies. Have you ever heard of medical fatalism before? I had heard of it, but I was, I'm really more familiar with how this is dealt with in philosophy and especially in theology, religious fatalism. But it's, very, it's all connected. Okay. Well, so what is religious fatalism? It's the idea that, that there's real no, really no significance to our free will. Mm. In other words, that it kind of goes back to really the Greeks and the fates, you know, mm. and the idea, for example, that everything is predetermined by the gods. And you see this in not only pagan Greece and pagan Rome, but it resurfaces throughout history, even some strands of, of Christianity. But the Catholic Church has always rejected both fatalism and determinism. Determinism really is a denial of, of free will mm -hmm. itself. But fatalism, I distinguish it a little bit, is doesn't really deny free will itself, but denies its significance. Okay. So, I mean, it's easy to see, I think, how you could slip into this, but, you know, simplistically, or maybe that's not true, but so what's the difference between, you know, we will say God knows all, he sees time across the spectrum knows the hairs on our head before we were born. You can see how you could go from that to, well, the end of the story is already written, so it doesn't matter what I do today. What's wrong with that thinking, you might say? 
all this is connected, and there have been a lot of theological debates over these issues. It really gets into the issue uh, also of predestination and how we understand predestination, both biblically and in the, the church's tradition. But I think what's really important is you have to uphold the idea, yes, God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. And of course, within God, there is no time. So this is very hard for us because it's very much a mystery for us. But God knows the past, present, and future. And, you know, we can speak of with God, the eternal now. Mm -hmm. So, yes, for example, God knows what our future decisions will be. Mm -hmm. Like he knows what I'm going to be doing tomorrow. <laughs> now, you might say, well, Bishop, what if you change your mind? Well, God already knows that I'm going to change my mind. Um, now, some will, will then say, well, then that means we're not free. Mm. But that's not true. We still are free. God has given us. So you have to uphold human freedom in the midst of this. Just because God knows the future doesn't mean that we're not free. Mm. He just already knows what our choices will be. And this gets into the whole also and this is, I don't think in this program we want to get into all the things about predestination, but I think it is important to mention the church has never accepted what's called double predestination, mm. where some would say that God not only wills our salvation and predestines us to be his adopted children, et cetera, as St. Paul talks about that, but there are some who say, well, God predestines us to hell. Oh. That is not, you know, that would be considered a heresy by the church uh, because, you know, what kind of a God would we would believe in yeah. would be that cruel, you know? So we believe as Catholics that there's a cooperation that, that God, you know, predestines us to glory. He predestines us, you know, is going to give us the grace that we need, sufficient grace. But at the same time, he doesn't force us that he has given us this gift of freedom, so we have to cooperate with his grace. So all of these issues are really connected. You know, it's, it's interesting. I, I appreciate the steeped philosophy and theology, the historical perspective that you're, you're kind of bringing that we've, we've talked and thought about this for a long time related to salvation. I don't know if a lot of, the, a lot of patients think about it in the same way related to their health, but it's, it's very similar kind of the questions that come up, just the general idea that maybe I'm somewhat out of control of what may happen to me, or if uh, things that have kind of been told to me before, if, if God wants me to die, I'm ready to go whenever he wants me. The corollary is I don't have to do any particular thing especially if, if it seems ucky to me or I don't want it. Um, First time that word's been announced on Dr. Doctor in five years. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah. So is, how, how should we think about this as it relates to our health? Great question. This gets into the whole notion of divine providence. Do we, are we to trust in God's providential care for us? Yes, we do trust in God's providence. At the same time, that doesn't mean that we don't have any responsibility. Mm. In other words, God gave us human reason. He gave us and he gives us the gifts of his grace. So it is very important that, especially when we look at moral decisions, including medical moral decisions, that we recognize, for example, God's, you know, the commandments that he has given us 
our human life as a gift, and we have a responsibility to take care of our life and our health. That is a moral responsibility. We can't just say, well, God's going to take care of it in some kind of a flippant manner when God has given us human reason. Mm. So we need, for example, if someone says, well, I mean, this is probably an extreme example, but you know, the idea that, well, God's going to take care of me, but I'm going to live this unhealthy lifestyle. Mm. No, I mean, <laughs> that's not God's will because then we're not being good stewards. We're not owners of our own body. We're, we're stewards of God's creation, including our human bodies. Wait, so now that reminds me of something we heard a lot during the pandemic, and that was the use by pro-life people of a common slogan of pro-abortion people, and that is, my body, my choice, with abortion or with COVID vaccines. And just you just said, our bodies are not our own. Would you elaborate on that? What does that really mean on a live day-to-day basis for people? Yeah. I mean, the way I look at it, that's a great question too, is, is to see that my body is a gift from God. And therefore that gift, I have the freedom to accept and respect the gift, take care of my health. And that's not being selfish. It's being really respectful of God. Mm. Now we have to be concerned not only with our own physical health, but that of others. I mean, you in the medical profession, I mean, that's your vocation. Uh, you're serving the health and well-being of your patients. And would, that, would um, under the cardinal virtues, <laughs> yes. I've been learning these better lately, would care for the body as a gift of God come under the virtue of justice, something we owe to God because he gave it to us or... Is there a link there? I think there is. I often think of the virtue of temperance Ah. as well because, you know, moderation. And that's so important for for our good health as well. And I think, you know, fatalism comes in here when someone thinks, well, that uh, a medical fatalism that Andrew talked about, the problem with that is then there's no acceptance of moral responsibility. Well, I've noticed this doesn't come up with like my car payment. Like God's going to just take care of it. I just have to go out there Thursday night. It'll be in the mailbox. I endorse it, send it in Friday. God's going to take care of the car payment. I don't see a lot of people espousing that worldview, but in in medicine, it's so prolific Mm -hmm. where, you know, it always impresses me because as I said, I, I love all my patients, but a lot of times they don't want to do anything that is, it makes sense to me and that's okay. Um, but they, they keep coming back. And, and so I, it's, I struggle sometimes to understand how much should I really encourage them from a perspective of like, we're stewards, right? Right. When I hear the stewardship, my mind immediately goes to the, the servants with the talents and the guys who make an investment and make a profit and the poor guy who buried his, what a sucker, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm not going to be that guy. Right. And, and so I guess one of the things that I'm trying to figure out, we were talking in the first quarter about there's a, a place for us to make medical decisions based on reasonableness and burden. And that's good. And that's like all medical decisions, but it, it would seem there might also be a baseline stewardship that we owe to, to God and to, to our bodies being a good steward. 
where is that? What commandment does that fall under? You know? I mean, I think it falls under the fifth, but because that's where we treat uh, not only, you know, thou shalt not kill. Okay. Not only the prohibitions against homicide and abortion and euthanasia and suicide, but also there are positive parts of that. And that includes taking care of uh, one's life and one's health. Now, I think what you mentioned too about, you know, benefits and burdens, et cetera, what are we obliged to? Ordinary means of taking care. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, we, I'm sure you've talked about ordinary and extraordinary mm -hmm. means in, uh, on this show. It's so important in Catholic medical moral teaching. And, you know, even in our ethical and religious directives, we, we give some very clear guidance, the bishops mm -hmm. do, about this, especially when you're dealing with people who are seriously ill and dying. But every person is obliged to use ordinary means mm. to preserve his or her health. We say that in number 32 of the ethical and religious directives for Catholic healthcare services. Now, we're not, you know, obliged to submit to certain procedures where there isn't a reasonable hope of benefit or excessive risks and burdens. You know all of that as good Catholic doctors. I know that. But I think our, you know, your patients and our people we need to form their consciences well in this and form their consciences better, especially those who aren't willing to use ordinary means to preserve their health. That's, that's problematic. It almost feels like gluttony of sort. You know, uh, I'm not going to do things to get my cholesterol down. I'm not going to treat my blood pressure because it's all predetermined. So I'm just going to sit here on the couch and eat donuts. <laughs> you know, that seems disrespectful to the gift that is our health. And it feels wrong. It feels almost sinful. Right, right, exactly. And I think that's where temptations come in. I mean, to moderate our appetites. I mean, that's why we have Lent. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, amen. that's why we have practices like fasting. It, it, it's really to help us to mm. kind of control those passions. Mm. I don't think I've heard a homily or even given a homily about gluttony in years. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But it, Probably wants wouldn't to hear be that, a bad idea. <laughs> and, and how often, and I can think to myself, well, probably in examining my conscience, I don't know that I've ever really considered that very much, and I should, yeah. you know. Now, oftentimes, you know, it would be a venial sin. Uh, although, you have to be careful, venial sins are also significant in the sense that Repeated venial mm -hmm. sins can lead to mortal sin. And if you're sort of thumbing God and saying, <laughs> I'll have the other donut, it doesn't matter, I'm in charge. Right, right, That's right. more serious than just overeating once or twice, right? Right, right. You know, in medicine, it wasn't that long ago that you would walk into the physician's lounge and have to duck beneath the cloud of smoke. <laughs> uh, right? Because physicians and nurses were notorious smokers. But even today, you know, physicians are notoriously in bad health. Yeah. Whether they're overweight, they don't exercise, they don't live well. And I, I just wonder, you know, as you're counseling priests, do you find that, are they susceptible to this sort of fatalistic, you know, I'm a priest, therefore I don't have time to think about my health or my body or these kind of healthy decisions? I don't think it's really something that they would consciously mm. do. But I think maybe unconsciously or subconsciously, I mean, I can even think of myself, you know, I know I should exercise more, you know, I know that. I mean, my doctor will tell me that, my cardiologist <laughs> tells me that. Yeah. And I kind of like struggle because I have so many other things to do. And, and, and therefore, you know, there, there seems to be, you know, there's an element of self-discipline that's needed, mm. you know, tend to, for example, in my situation, 
I tend to be an al- a workaholic, not an alcoholic. <laughs> Thanks for speaking <laughs> <God>. yeah. <laughs> No, a workaholic. You know, so I have to fight that, that temptation to work too hard and then neglect, you know, for example, physical mm-hmm. exercise. So, Bishop, I guess maybe a couple of examples to kind of flesh out how to think about this. Because really, I think one of our big hopes with the show is to help form the consciences of our listeners, of ourselves, and try and figure out how to even articulate this. Because I've struggled with that at times. I I can talk about the medical stuff and what's smart there, but I think there's something I'm missing to articulate. So, (laughs) somebody's got extraordinarily high blood pressure. Uh, we know high blood pressure every 10 points on top might shorten your life by about three years. So if somebody's running, you know, 180 on top instead of 120, that's really bad. I say, hey, you should take this blood pressure pill. Almost nobody has side effects. It's once a day. It's like a vitamin. It'll help you. they like, I don't like taking medicine. I'd rather not. I feel fine. God will take care of my blood pressure. How should I talk to that patient? Yeah. Obviously, the church rejects that kind of thinking, that medical fatalism. That person is not, you know, really not respecting human reason in this situation. Uh, Good medical science. I mean, I guess they're not rejecting what science is saying, but the fact that they are just saying, well, I'm just leaving it up to God, that's not God's will. (laughs) It's very clear that we're called by the Lord to, to take care of our health. And I would say that's ordinary means. So I think trying to form help in the formation of that patient's conscience is really important. Ultimately, they have free will, so you can't obviously force them. But there's no counter indications that this is in any way going to be harmful to the person's health to take medicine for high blood pressure, right? So, so Bishop mean, Rhodes, we talk about ordinary and extraordinary means. And All of our conversations before have been about at the end of life. This is not at the end of life. This is in the big middle part of life. So how do we think about what our ordinary means during the vast majority of life versus we're in the ICU at the end? Yeah. Well, I think of the, Jesus tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves. So this is part of the proper love of self. Mm. And it's not only about oneself. It's also about others in one's life. I mean, I don't know that patient has a family, Mm. you know, that and uh, let's say is, has uh, children and that who, or a wife and you know they they need him you know like it's also when you don't take care of yourself it's not just harming yourself it can also be harming others so I think it's both love of neighbor and and proper love of self not excessive love, love of self but proper love of self and I would p- put it in the context of 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 personal responsibility that God you know, is asking of us to assume that responsibility of, of taking care of ourselves. You know, this is also related to a problem that I especially saw during the COVID pandemic, and it's very much related, is the two extremes of fideism and rationalism. Mm. Fideism is faith alone, rationalism, reason alone. Mm. Well, the church is always faith and reason. It's not faith or reason. Now, I'd say to nowadays, in the secularized culture where we live, it's a, a lot more rationalism, especially since mm-hmm. the enlightenment of the 19th century. But there's been some resurgence of fideism mm. and you know, faith alone. And I think that's very dangerous. That, you know, you get to then some religious fanaticism takes place. Mm. 
so anyhow, I just wanted to mention that, but I think that's also related. And, you know, I think we have to just remind everyone, you know, God gave us a gift of reason as well as he gives us the gift of faith. So we have to respect both of these gifts and use both of these gifts. You know, if we were as good at telling people they're wrong as Bishop Rhodes is, I'll bet our patients would be a lot healthier. (laughs) (laughs) He he tells people they're wrong for a living. Uh, (laughs) He does more than that. Yeah, Yeah, he's much more skilled at that. There's a gift there. (laughs) You know, a more specific example, and admittedly this could be somewhat triggering for listeners, but, you know, a big part of my medical practice is recurrent pregnancy loss and miscarriage. And, And I'll see couples... And they're good, faithful couples, and they've had multiple losses. And I say, if we do some testing, there are very likely some interventions we could do that would at least reduce the probability, maybe dramatically, of you losing another child. And all we need to do is some testing and maybe, as I said, a simple intervention. And they will take what I think we would call maybe a fatalistic approach and say, you know, if God wanted us to have a successful pregnancy, he would intervene. If, if I were to do that, it would be a sign of my, my lack of faith. So we're just going to keep trying. You know, and there's a side of me that wants to say, you, know, you already have four children in heaven. Let's keep it at four. Let's try to, <laughs> let's try to prevent that. But it, it's a very tough position because they think anyway that they're making the decision sort of on sound, faithful reasoning. But, but listening to you, it sounds like they're really not. Right. And I think because they are still, obviously you mentioned that they're still seeking pregnancy, but they're not using some basic ordinary means to accomplish that. Again, presuming that there's no burden, excessive burden or anything like that in whatever procedure you're asking them to or suggesting that they undergo. Mm. I know a couple actually recently who struggled with infertility for a long time and it didn't appear that they were going to ever be able to conceive but they continued to use appropriate means you know licit morally licit means and they were able to conceive and what joy there was and i was so happy but if they had not persevered Mm. you know it, it would not have happened so again i think you know we have thanks be to god doctors like yourself who who are practicing to help couples in a morally licit way to conceive. You know, the the question of it being morally obligatory is a challenging one. I mean, I don't think it's the same thing as what Andrew spoke about, but I'd have to think more about that. But I think you're encouraging them is, is certainly the right thing to do. I certainly have encountered extreme examples, you know, to your reference where couples will say, we're going to stop trying because we feel like we're contributing to the death of a child because we have mm. so many miscarriages. And and while not theologically trained, I always I always want to sort of step back and pause and say, just don't think that's sound reasoning. Right. We're designed to be pregnant. Man and woman come together for that for that purpose. There's more we can do before you just walk away. Right. But it is a tough space to enter with with families. Yeah, I can imagine. You know, maybe another example, really trying to pin in this idea of ordinary means in 
midlife. Everybody knows with feeding tubes, you got to ask a couple people, what am I supposed to do? (laughs) People don't think of that with, you know, the example I'm thinking of is uh, like the different cancer screenings we do. Mm. You know, colonoscopies is something that I I perform. It's not ordinary, an ordinary day at least. Is is that an ordinary means? Um, And what burden do we have? You know, I've had people tell me, hey, God wants me to get colon cancer. I'm ready to go today. Totally up to God. Do I have to look into that? Or, I mean, we could use other examples, mammograms and whatnot, but colonoscopies, it's a pretty inconvenient day. Is that ordinary? Is that ordinary, yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. I Actually, I just had a conversation about this with a cousin of mine who won't get a uh, colonoscopy. <laughs> and he is someone who really should. He's at the age. He's about my age. And, you know, yeah, it's not very pleasant. And I said, you know what? I am so glad because the different colonoscopies I've had, you know, I'm sorry to get into my own medical treatment with our <laughs> listeners. This isn't the most pleasant thing to talk about. Andrew brought up colonoscopies. Right. We, we got to get to the bottom of it. But, right. <laughs> but I mean, there were polyps removed that were, you know, I guess could have been precancerous and perhaps, you know, I'm it alive. Extended to, your life. Right. Extended my life and I'm alive today because I, I did that. So, I think that's being personally responsible. You know, there's, again, it doesn't get into, you know, I don't think it gets into the moral, morally obligatory, but I mean, I think every person in their own conscience, I would feel a moral obligation though. I mean, what what do you think from, I guess, maybe a psychological perspective, what do you think is behind that reasoning? Because I doubt it's actually theological reasoning. Maybe it is, but I'm, I question if it's actually theological. But what do you think is behind a right-thinking, intelligent, educated person feeling so motivated that they're going to avoid a pretty simple, ordinary thing that might extend their life? It's an interesting thing because I, I don't know if this is true, but often they say that we men are like that. Like we, <laughs> we avoid uh, going to the doctor and do. avoid yeah. these other things. And I know I have to fight that tendency in myself. My doctor will have to remind me that I need <laughs> an annual checkup. So, sure. so is the Virgin Mary the woman in your life that convinces you to go in? Yeah. <laughs> but, nice. but there's another woman in my life. My sister's a nurse, oh, oh, and, and she will get after me. Yeah, yeah. you can't escape that. Yeah. No way. Yeah, it is. It is interesting though, because you wonder why. What's the resistance? What's there that's motivating you to be, you know, to we would argue in the medical bias to say you're toying with danger. Why would you do that? You probably wear a seatbelt, yeah, um, right? You know. Why not do these things? And the statistics on seatbelts are abysmal compared, compared to, to, to a lot of other <laughs> yes. things, you know. But even doing things that are unhealthy, you know, I think it's a matter, Some I don't know. I mean, I, I would think just avo- maybe it's some avoidance, mm. you know, not wanting to even think about it. Think about our mortality. Yeah, um, It'd be interesting to go more deeply with people and see why just not being attentive. I don't know how to say that. I mean, I, I could just say in my own situation, I, I would kind of get involved. You know, we get involved and we're busy in our lives. And sometimes we just give it much attention to our health. If, if I was trying to help form my conscience as a patient or one of my patients' consciences as a doctor, what could I point to in the Bible or the catechism or other magisterial teachings to help kind of hone in on this, that we are 
there's some baseline responsibility that we owe to, to God to, to work towards health. Yeah, I mean, the catechism reference that comes to mind is the section under the fifth commandment, uh, thou shalt not kill, which gives also the positive things about human life and dignity, where it talks about, you know, respecting the life and dignity of others, et cetera, and protection of human life. There is mention there of the importance of also taking care of one's own health. Mm. I think in the scriptures, I'm, I'm trying to think of maybe some specific passages. I would get back to the idea of Jesus saying, love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. So there is that obligation to love oneself. And that includes taking care of one's own health. One of my favorite passages would be a good old book of Sirach, verses, chapter 38, verses 1 to 15, on the value of the physician. You know, give the physician due to him and the pharmacist for making the, the medicines. That is the, <laughs> the, the lengthiest section of Scripture that I'm familiar with, Sirach 38, 1 to 15. But I think what we've uncovered, at least for me, more than I would have thought before listening to you, Bishop, is just this intersection of sort of health and 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 duty. Yeah. You know, the idea that I'm not taking care of myself because, you know, I want to look good at the pool this summer. Right. I'm taking care <laughs> of myself because I have a moral obligation to treat my body as something that it's not mine. It's a gift. And then the idea that you know, health doesn't happen in a vacuum. To your point about the man who has a spouse and who has children and grandchildren, I don't get the privilege of saying, I do what I want with my life and my body because it belongs to other people as well. Well, and it, it makes me kind of wonder like, okay, we're in this time of Lent now when we're recording. As we're examining our consciences, what would be some good things to think about or ask ourselves to, to make sure we're, we're on the straight and narrow here? I think I would ask myself, am I living the virtue of temperance? Mm. I think that's a very important question. As far as am I taking reasonable care of my body? I think one of the things, and again, with the idea that physical health is a precious gift that God has entrusted to us, we have to avoid what the catechism speaks of as the cult of the body, Mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is like the body's the most important thing. Sort like of the, idolatry of I, the body. Yeah. Right. That sometimes happens with, you know, wanting physical perfection, mm -hmm. success at sports in an excessive degree, mm. even to the point where one is actually damaging their mm -hmm. body oh. through excessive, you know, things that, that can happen. So I did want to mention that. I think one should ask themselves, you know, do I abuse food? Do I, you know, ask ourselves if we abuse alcohol? or drugs, whatever it can be, because of the grave damage that can happen to one's health and one's life. So those are some of the questions I would ask in an examination of conscience. Mm. So, Andrew, you know, walking where angels fear to tread, I think that there's been in pediatrician care, family practice care, somewhat of a reduction in the typical childhood vaccines mm. in the last several years. Is that true? Big time. And so I suspect there might be a question there for the bishop. Yeah, you know, vaccines, <laughs> talk about triggering words. You never get any of that. <laughs> oh, yeah. But uh, vaccines, obviously, very triggering and how doctors deal with knowing, you know, assuming that our listeners have read that letter from the Vatican in 2005. How should we as faithful Catholics who appreciate science, how should we think about vaccines, especially when folks... There's so many negative things about vaccines that are talked about by our friends. 
how should we think about vaccines and what are our obligations to receive them, if any? Yeah. Oh, wow. That is a very controversial issue, as, as you know, and uh, as letters that I get also. But the bottom line is the church has said that the vaccines that, you know, the common vaccines that we're talking about for children or even the COVID vaccine for that matter are morally illicit. And there's a whole moral analysis that's been done by the best moral theologians agreed upon by the Pope and and the great, great majority of bishops. And mm. so the church has has said this is morally illicit. So some people, though, refuse to accept that. And sometimes in my discussions with people with that opinion, it's very difficult because it's almost like reason is not being followed. And now I'm not saying that there can't be some legitimate debate about certain vaccines, et cetera, but it gets back to the faith and reason mm -hmm. issue again. But I think it's not only the protection, you know, the protection of one's children, but also others, because by the non-use of vaccines, there can be greater spread of disease. So it's not only about oneself, but it's also about the common good and the health of others. Yeah, and we recently did the show on Cardinal George. May he rest in peace. I mean, he suffered from polio because he got it just a few years before the vaccine came out, and he yeah. suffered his whole life, and many other people did because of it. And I think there aren't people alive today who remember that anymore, so they don't have the same need. I know, what kind of attitudes are you hearing from your parents of your young children about vaccines, Andrew? That's changed over the last five years. You know, and, w and with vaccines in particular, I never look at a patient and say, like, their heart's in the wrong place. I think right. people are scared, right. you know. And so I guess maybe one of the things that I always try and do is present myself as an authority in this area that you can trust. Is there maybe a word, Bishop, to seeking out reasonable places to get information? And an obligation there. <laughs> Since we're asking, we say the easy ones for you. Yeah. Now, well, you know, that's a great question because what, what I think is happening is, especially because of social media, is there's so much out there that people believe, you know, certain things that are not, you know, medically... Actual, really. Actual, yeah. right. Exactly. And how do you counter all of that? I, I, I think it's a big challenge. I mean, I would rely more on you on what are the best medical experts to read, you know, studies or whatever that have been done. I mean, I've read a lot, but I'm not an expert by any means. You know, we're not saying that medical science is infallible or that there can't be mistakes made. It is, you know, but you have to weigh, you know, the results of experiments, et cetera. And, you know, nothing, I guess, is without potentially negative side effects. So you have to kind of, again, look reason. at all of that. You use your reason. But where I would refer people to, that's a good question. I, you know, I would look at reputable studies and reputable scientific and medical research if they're questioning those things. And it's interesting. But, I think the could versus should question always comes up. And, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's worth pointing out there is nothing wrong with right thinking, conscientious parents trying to decide where they stand on various vaccines. And I think we learned through the pandemic that talking about the polio vaccine and now maybe the COVID vaccine, maybe it's not fair to compare those side to side as we learn more about some of the, the traumas we inflicted on ourselves through the pandemic. It was, after all, a pandemic and complicated. 
And, and, you know, you could argue maybe there is a duty to ask these questions, but at the same time, it is morally licit for these childhood vaccines. But I'm sure, you know, Andrew, you see couples that, that make a logical informed decision to maybe forego one or some or change the schedule I, or something. You know what I'm thinking is we might have to invite the bishop back for a vaccine episode. <laughs> yes. If, if you're looking for more penance, bishop. Because yeah, we be are out of time with this episode. <laughs> bishop Rhodes, thank you so much for being here with us on this episode of Dr. Doctor. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you again for listening. For the full episode, visit Spokestreet.com slash doctor. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.